Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the New Slant Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck. This week, our podcast is being brought to you by the good folks at Untuck It. So shout out to those people for keeping our lights on. As always, with me as my co-host, he's rustling over there on the other side, probably because he's antsy to talk about how crappy the Sixers have looked in second halves recently. My friend, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? Another timely podcast on our part to discuss the dysfunction of the Philadelphia 76ers. We, we thrive on negativity. That is, that is our brand, I suppose, at this point. We pick only the worst possible times to talk about the team. And I, I guess you could say we're just the, we're, we're there for you if you need an outlet for all your negativity that you have about the Sixers. I think that's probably a good thing in a, in a weird way. So the last, after, I I believe we're definitely not some team shows. I'll say that. Yeah, No, that is certainly not the case. We are more inclined to talk about this team as if we're talking about a football team where it's a lot more intense and, and in the moment than, than some people would like, but that's okay with us. So I think the last time we spoke, Seamus was following the Celtics game, which obviously they they won without Joel Embiid. It was a big deal. They made some schematic tweaks to get the best out of Al Horford. Everybody's flying high. And then they just have – they had a clunker in the second half against the Dallas Mavericks on Saturday. They had a clunker in the second half against the Indiana Pacers on Monday night. And there are two common threads between those two performances. I'll, I'll, I'll let you decide which you want to get to first. Number one, they shot like crap. And so that obviously, when you're playing in the modern NBA and you need to make threes, that's a problem. And Ben Simmons basically disappeared on offense in both of those second halves. So what do you want to attack first, Seamus? And what stands out to you about either one of those things? Well, I think the shooting is always going to be fluky, regardless of team. Regardless of the team, is if you don't have JJ Redick out there like they have in past years, or guys who are legit sharpshooters, you're always going to go up and down and have really off nights and really hot nights from deep. But the thing that's most concerning and seems the least fixable right now would be Ben Simmons' half court woes in the second half and late in games. Yeah, and I think like there were some people last night and even somewhat today, we're recording this on Tuesday, that said, well, Ben can't score. He's not going to score 50 points. And Indiana defended them differently where they're putting people in the paint. And, and that's all well and good. But number one, I didn't think that they stacked the paint in a way that he should have been completely unable to get to the rim for most of the second half. And the fact that teams can still have that kind of strategy and have it work against Ben now in year three, when this has been a known problem for him that he can't and won't shoot, that's the issue in itself right there. There, there, We shouldn't be in a place where Ben Simmons is able to be schemed out of a game for entire halves and entire series, frankly, is what we saw last year. And 
it's just very disappointing that he can have these stretches where he puts his head down, he gets to the basket, he even gets to the free throw line some, and then all it takes is a little bit of intermission for him to revert to all his worst tendencies. For, you know, the first half on Monday night, so I would say yesterday, but you're probably listening to this on Wednesday, is he looked like an MVP candidate. It just like all of the potential in the world was not only there, but in real time. It wasn't just potential. It was reality that he is that good, that he would make you question the obvious thought that the team should be built around Joel Embiid. Maybe you're watching that and think like, should this just be the team? Should he be just zipping all over the court, jumping, passing lanes, running, running, like nothing. And then you get into the second half and once you have to run a real half court set, it just disappears and it sucks. Yeah, and look, that's kind of... I mean, like we're saying the that. same thing we've been saying for years. So it's, it's, it's hard to keep saying it, but it needs to be said because nothing is changing. Nothing... It's like the definition of insanity. Like, what am I doing? Why am I watching this? When are they going to realize that something is off and something needs to be changed? I'm not saying something needs to be changed in the sense that they need to trade him or something like that. I'm not going like that. But they need to try something else. Well, so let's talk. I want to. You brought up something I want to ask you about, Seamus. Do you enjoy watching this team? They're not fun. No, they I, haven't. I just I don't get the feeling from anybody in Philadelphia that this has been a fun experience on any level. Like certainly there have been moments, there have been games, the opening game against Boston, the Christmas game against Milwaukee. There are these snapshots where you see, wow, like th- this is what the ceiling of this team looks like. You dream of more. They're off to a 5 and 0 start before Joel Embiid's suspension kind of sends things off the rails. There are these glimmers of hope, but the day-to-day of following this team, everything feels inevitable. Like that, even during that half, that I I think that is one of Simmons' best halves against Indiana in the first half that he's probably played as a pro. I think that's his best. Yeah, like he dominated that game, and that's against a good team that the only guy they've been missing is Victor Oladipo, who has been missing all year, so I I don't really even factor him into that. That's a a great half against a good team, and you think, wow, all the potential is there. And then you look at what happens in the second half, and it's no different, to your point, than anything we've seen over the last three years. It's all the concerns that continue to linger for this team are still there. They have not answered – a single long-term or like even playoff centric question that you or I would have had about this team in July. The Horford fit is still bad. Ben Simmons is still not shooting threes. Joel Embiid has not been able to stay healthy and his, uh, his effort level has been on and off even when he has been healthy. All these things are, are stuff that we talked about all summer and, and thought about. And not a single one of those concerns has been addressed. And that, I think, is ultimately the most disappointing part about this season to me is that we don't, I don't feel like we know anything more. And if we know anything more, it's just confirming all the worst fears you would have had about the Sixers in July. Dude, they're not fun to watch. It's not, it's not fun. They had opening night, they had Christmas Day. But other than that, there's nothing that's really jumping out to me. And saying, wow, I love watching this team. This is awesome. I'm watching one of my favorite Sixers teams ever. Since, I'm not blaming it on Jimmy Butler, but in the last 18 or so months, 
it's been more bad than good in terms of my enjoyment of watching the team. Not saying anything about the team's actual performance, but am I like I like the first week or two of Jimmy when he's hitting all those step back threes and game winners. We have a couple games this year that I just mentioned. Other than that, we're just like stuck in the mire of bullshit. That all we're doing is picking everything apart, and it's necessity. What else are you going to do when the team isn't reaching the expectations you feel that they have, or that the team has set for themselves in a way? Well, you brought up the word expectations. I think it, for me, I have to try to separate, or I, I try to separate the expectations from from what we're watching unfold. Because I, I think that's a big part of the problem here. This isn't the the team from Simmons's rookie year where they were had like people weren't even really expecting them to make the playoffs. I thought they were going to be an eight. I thought they were going to be an eight seed. Yeah, I've right. on so LB they, or something. They surge into the top half of the conference with with this huge winning streak to close out the year, but that felt like gravy at the time. And and even as much as that Boston series stung for a lot of people, the idea is okay. These guys are really young. It's their first chance at the playoffs, and it's a learning experience. That's okay. You can you can sell that to yourselves and to the fan base and what have you. Last year they load up and they have this. This loss to Toronto, the eventual champions, where it goes to game seven. And and that you can sell to everyone. Like, hey, we got as close as anybody possibly could have to beating the team that ended up winning the title. And you look at that as, hey, there's going to be motivation for these guys to come back next year. They make big acquisitions. They sign Al Horford. They bring back Tobias Harris. Everything looks like it's shaping up for them to be – a defensive juggernaut and even if they're not the most entertaining team in the world to just be very good and they haven't even been that they're i think they're above average but i, I certainly don't think night to night you can look at this team and say man i i know what i'm getting out of these guys watching an above average basketball team isn't fun because they're not good enough that you can just cast aside the losses and some of the disappointing stuff that happens in a given month. Because that's going to happen. Even the great teams. Milwaukee loses games. The Lakers lose games. That happens. But when you're watching just an above average team. A team that is 7-14 on the road. If I'm not at the game. At the arena. It's more likely than not that they're going to lose. So what the hell? What, why is that fun? <laughs> why am I spending three hours each night watching that? And then another you know, 30 minutes in the morning before work writing about it. And then another 45-50 minutes with you talking about it. It's not dissimilar from the experience of the Eagles season that just ended up until like the last month of the season where everyone came in thinking this might be an MVP year from Wentz. This is set up for them to have a potential juggernaut offense. And then you actually watch them step out on the field. You look at the personnel. They they suffer some injuries that are important and and mess up their depth chart. And all of a sudden – when you're relying on these backups and, and guys are thrust into roles that maybe they're not qualified for, you see, okay, we misjudged the amount of talent they had in the first place and, and the fit of how everything was going to work. And the inconsistency then becomes even more infuriating because you came into the year thinking, man, this is every Sunday I'm going to show up and it's going to be fun to watch the Eagles. And it's the same experience now with the Sixers where Hey, I I thought even as a media member, like I I look at this team objectively, but I can still sit here and say, hey, this is a fun team to watch, or or this is not. And the Sixers are not. The, it, it, 
inherently being a defensive focused team where your personnel strengths are all on that on the floor is going to be less fun than watching some team that goes out and scores 130 points a night and, and just puts it down on teams, right? Like that's something that you have to account for. But at the same time, they just, they don't have guys that are that enjoyable to watch even when they are going well. Like Joel Embiid is a fantastic top 10 type player. He's not someone that's like, wow, I love watching him live at the free throw line every night. And, and since he's taken out the trash talking and the exuberance in his game, I think some of the fun factor for him even has gone away this year. Yeah, the solution is obviously to add Terry Harris and Haywood Highsmith and <laughs> Isaiah Miles and Dorrell Moore to the team and then just have Embiid and Simmons play with these scrubs and that'll save the season. Yeah, I, I don't want to – we can't paint it all as expectations. Like there, No, there, I mean like – There are very they, real reasons that they are not fun to watch this year. Yeah, like – they gave a hundred nine million dollar contract to like the most boring person in the entire fucking world who I thought at least was going to be good, but he's, he's, he's been trashed. Well, that's a thing. Like we have mocked, like Philadelphia has mocked the, Al Horford the, for years. The yoke is on our face because we mocked him for so long. And then I spent a summer and early in the fall saying, Oh, I could finally take all that back. I knew all along Al Horford was good. We were just being assholes. But no, in the end, I am the asshole for believing that Al Horford would actually be the guy we wanted him to be in Philadelphia. All right. On that note, we'll get back to Horford in a second. We're going to take a quick ad break, and, and then we'll be back to, to talk some more about Al Horford. So I'm here to tell you guys about our friends at Untuck It. Have you ever seen or worn an untucked button-down shirt? They look as terrible as the Sixers do in late-game situations. And why is that? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way, guys. I, I, I don't know that you know that, but it's true. And thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt that's actually designed to be worn untucked. Dress shirts that fit right are really hard to find for me. I don't know if you have that same problem, Seamus, but it's something that a lot of people around the world, around the U.S. are dealing with on a daily basis. And with more than 50 plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online, or you can check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. You choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or you're trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com, promo code BLUE for 20% off. And now, back to the show. There's also always an Untuck It in Center City, Philadelphia. 16th and 1, I walk past it all the time. There Just you go. There's a, a regionally based. Yeah, if you if you work Clancy. if you work in Center City and like you're out on your lunch break, it's really it's like a nice little small store. It's probably great help in there, one on one help. People in there, they'll get you exactly what you need. Look at salesman Seamus over there. You gotta love it. You love to see it. Yeah, when the Sixers uh, blow it this year, I'm gonna have to quit writing and become like a, an untucked <laughs> salesman, probably. <laughs> All right, so back to what we were talking about before the ad break. Uh, 
Al Horford to me, like, look, bringing him here, there were always going to be some concerns with how he fits into their ecosystem and, and whether all these things work in terms of him spacing the floor, him playing power forward on defense more, et cetera, et cetera. I think the most disappointing thing for me is that there are times when I just don't have any idea what he's doing out there or what he's thinking. And this is a guy who's supposed to be like the number one teammate. The, the he does cerebral. all the little things on the yeah. court that make you don't show up in the box score and that you appreciate. The cerebral thinker that this is, he's going to make a difference even when he's not putting up big box score lines and blah, 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 all this stuff the year for years. And I haven't even seen that. Like, you want to talk about the thing that's most disappointing. A guy who's getting older, slowing down a little bit, is not something that's a big shock to me. Al Horford playing like a dumb basketball player is kind of shocking to me. Just reverse Danny Ainge magic, obviously. <laughs> well, he, I don't know what the what that guy has going on. Up yeah, if, if someone, there's a voodoo curse of some sort. If someone leaves the TD Garden, do not engage with him. From now on, we've like fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So, who do you put the blame on for this? Is it Elton Brand's fault for the poor fit? Is it Brett Brown not making best use of him schematically? Is it Horford just aging and being shittier than he used to be? Or your probably favorite answer, Seamus. Is he a sleeper agent sent to destroy the Sixers from within? Well, I'll do this sleeper saw thing for like 15 seconds. He's so quiet and so mild mannered that it's actually the perfect front for being a sleeper agent because no one would expect anything. <laughs> anyway, like I blame Elton Brand, and this is one of the concerns I had to begin with when they hired Brand. Is it's not a bias against ex-players as general managers, as we see. Danny Ainge has been a great general manager. Jerry West is maybe the greatest executive in league history. But you're, have, you're hiring a guy who has just gotten out of the league where they hired him in 2018. He was with the team two, two seasons prior to that as a player. So then you have a guy who's played with and against most of the players on the team and in the league. And then he played with Al Horford for years in Atlanta and has obviously been with him and familiar with him for years and years. And in his head, he thinks, oh, Al Horford does all the little things in the court. Al Horford's been in all-star several times. I play with Al. He's a hard worker. He's great in the locker room. He's this and he's that. Al Horford's 33 years old. Elton Brand doesn't realize that. I mean, he know, he's aware of that, but doesn't. he's not thinking it through. He says, Al Horford, let's get this guy in here. Joel missed some time. You know, Al step up like he always does. And it's just a short-sighted thinking where I, I believe Elton has this myopic view of talent around the league because he doesn't have that distance from the game. I think it's made more painful for outsiders because a year ago, it seemed like you could think what you want about Jimmy Butler as like a locker room guy and person you're going to in part build a team around with the the young core that's already in place. But he like acquiring Jimmy Butler at least made sense from a pure personnel level, right? Like it's the sort of guy that they wanted to get when they traded up to get Markel Fultz before Elton Brand was the GM. They wanted somebody. Yeah, I had to bring him up. It's relevant here. It's a guy who can take creation burden off of Ben Simmons, who they they then can use Simmons 
as more of a forward and, and tap into his skills and his history as a power forward. You don't have to play him strictly as a point guard. You don't have to sit him in the dunker spot. You use him as a screener as they have with Josh Richardson. And they were on to something like that was, they were on the right track there. And for reasons that are and are not public knowledge, Jimmy Butler decides he's moving on and going to South beach. And instead of trying to figure out a solution that was an equivalent to Butler, or at least something that was trending in that direction, they went the opposite way. And it, to me, it just showed a fundamental misunderstanding of what they've needed. When they traded Covington and Dario Saric, the whole reason they did so is because those guys were not guys who could take people off the dribble and and win one-on-one battles when push came to shove in the playoffs. They're, they're good players, good role players in their own right, but they didn't fit as complementary pieces to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And they recognized that a year ago and then turned around in late June, early July and went in the total opposite direction. And I don't understand how the same person could have been overseeing one transaction and then do the exact opposite thing in such a short time frame. I just, I truly don't really get it. Well, here's my take as someone who has absolutely no connection to the team whatsoever in terms of sources, information, you know what I mean. Uh, I think Ben did not like playing alongside Jimmy Butler and they didn't want to like step on Ben's toe. So they didn't bring Jimmy Butler back. I'm not sure how much Jimmy wanted to be brought back. But I don't think Ben was going for it. They want Ben wants to be the point guard. Ben wants to do his thing, whatever. So then he said, "Well, we need another. We have a you know opportunity to sign another Max guy. We're already going to be capped out. So let's get someone else in here if, if we, right before we bring Tobias back and go over the cap and everything." And they said, "Al Horford, my spiel before. Oh, Al, you know, Elton Brand knows him. He's another guy that you know can step up when Joel misses time. He could you know lighten the load. So Joel's playing less minutes per game." And we just get a shell, get a guy that's a shell of himself. But even when he's, you know, supposedly playing well, and even at the beginning of the year, they're terrible on the court together, Joel and Al, offensively. So now you went from having a guy who, again, Ben Simmons, like I said earlier, when he's on, he looks like an MVP. Jimmy Butler is better than Ben Simmons right now. Would you agree with that, Kyle? I think he is. I think Jimmy Butler is by far a better offensive player. Yeah, yeah. I would say the same Ben's, on Ben's, defense. Ben is one of the best defensive players in the league this year. So I I think it's probably closer than you think. But in terms of what is going to matter when push comes to show in pl- the playoff series. An offensive player, the like a top 10 offensive player is more valuable than a top 10 defensive player. Right, because there are, just, there are so many perimeter players that you have to account for when you're playing against the best playoff caliber teams in the league that even if Ben Simmons schemes out a great player on another team, they still are going to need to get stops elsewhere. I think perimeter defense in general is somewhat overrated. Like the, even like someone like Kawhi, who's genuinely considered one of the better defenders of the, this era period, is not someone that necessarily has like a, a an outstanding game to game impact on team defense. I think the the center position is where defense ultimately stems from most of the time and and you can see the defensive issues that pop up when Joel is not on the floor well so they went from so Jimmy's better than Ben offensively so they let Jimmy go because he didn't fit with Ben offensively even though Jimmy is a superior player in that regard 
And what they did do, so Ben's their second best player. So they went and got another guy who is also a bad fit for their best player offensively in Al Horford. The thing is, he's actually a lot worse than Jimmy Butler is offensively. And he just, and now you're hurting your, not, you're hurting your second best player before in Ben. Now you're compromising the offense of your offensive focal point in your franchise player in Joel by having Al here. Like, I wonder if Joel doesn't like Al. I'm not saying this as a person. I'm not saying this to start controversy. I don't know. Al seems like the greatest guy ever, uh, besides all the sleep rage and stuff. So I don't think there's any personal discord between them, but I can't imagine that Joel likes having another guy who's in the high post the entire time. Joel has said for years that he likes playing with stretch fours. I think, you know, he loved playing with Ursan. Uh, that, you know, if you want to add it all up, he was here for what, like a year, a year and a half or whatever. I think he likes playing with Dario, players like that at the four. So when he's sharing the four with a guy who's a natural center, and then you also have a point guard who's actually a power forward, then Joe doesn't, you know, I don't think he looks like he's enjoying playing basketball. I'm not saying Joel Embiid hates basketball now. He's miserable. I just think I don't see the necessary, like, you know, the excitement out of him, and maybe we could chalk it up to, like you said previously, where he's trying to tone down the trash talking and the antics on the court, but I just don't see him having the offensive success that he usually has because he's playing with, the two other most expensive players in the team, uh, stylistically, are counteractive to what he does well. Well, look at it this way. Like, the reason that they did what they did in the offseason is partially because there's just no, there's no realistic way to build the perfect fitting team around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And so instead of trying to find the perfect fits for what they – what they might be able to do on offense. They said, we are just going to try to build a defensive juggernaut that is going to beat the crap out of teams. And that's how we're going to win. That's how we're going to succeed. That's our path to a potential title. And I get that. Like I, I understand the logic behind that, but to do that and to, to follow that path with this team is to ignore all the available evidence we have of what goes wrong for them when they're up against better competition of what goes wrong for them when they're in the playoffs and they need somebody who can create his own shot, who can, can generate free throws, who can fill in the blanks and do the things that quite frankly, Ben Simmons can't do because this is the bet the Sixers made in the off season. They were expecting him with the way they built the team to come back and maybe not eliminate, but at least, put some of his big concerns and big flaws and big weaknesses on offense in the background. They believed, or at least the construction of the team suggests they believed that Ben was going to come back and start shooting. Brett Brown came out publicly and said, he doesn't expect to see Ben in the dunker spot. He's going to be in the corner. He's going to do this. Ben Simmons says at media day, if he's open, he's going to shoot it. We both know now, Seamus, both of of those things wildly untrue Ben Simmons is exactly the same as he's ever been on offense he is his only improvements really are on defense where it's all effort based it's not like Ben turned into a guy that he wasn't capable of being before there it's just been a more consistent level of performance from him I don't mean to take away from him but that's just it is what it is and so they're left with a roster that has the same fit concerns we would have said back in July, but without the improvements they needed to get from the star core players 
the star young guys that they invested a lot, a lot of money on. And I think that's the reason why we're sitting here and complaining about a team that some people believed had a chance to win a title this year. Do you think they still have a chance to win the title? Do they have a chance? Certainly. Yeah, but, like, I mean, I agree. I was just curious to see what you would say. Yeah, I mean, I, so look, you look at games like the Milwaukee game and you see that they can match up with certain teams really well. And I think a lot of their day-to-day concerns are just based on effort and having a larger rotation. Like when they get to mid-April and they're down to seven or eight guys that are playing, it's the five starters, Matisse Thibel, James Ennis, and you would assume a, a player that they're going to acquire at the trade deadline. Yeah, rich man's Trey Burke, hopefully. Yeah, they're going to be considerably better at that point than when they have to play Frick on Korkmaz, Trey Burke, Mike Scott, and these guys who are either just passable rotation players in the regular season or people that should not be getting minutes on this caliber of team. Like that is, That's the thing that's gone wrong with this team on some level is that they just have too many guys that are playing that should not be, and they need to upgrade the bench. But I don't think we should think that if they just get like one more bench guy, that all of a sudden the problems with the starting group are going to be solved. And that's the magic bullet to fix this team. The way, you know, if you want to just call them boomers or however you want to joke about it, the way people complain about Ben Simmons, lack of three point shooting, that's the way I feel about, him and his ability to get to the free throw line and then his actual shooting when he's on the free throw line. I'm of the opinion he does not like to get fouled because he doesn't want to go to the free throw line because he's poor free throw shooter and doesn't want to actually get embarrassed in front of everyone. Like, I think he's... Other than Giannis, and, I mean, LeBron's 35, so whatever, he might be the biggest physical freak in the entire league. When he's running... He looks like the fastest player in the league, and he's about 6'11". What would you say, Kyle? 240 pounds? Does that sound about right? 230? Yeah, I mean, I'm bad at like eyeballing guys' weight. I mean, the I just, point is, he's I just, built like a freak. Yeah, player. I just didn't know if you see it from like looking at you know different things the team hands out or just knew it off the top of your head. Basketball reference has him at 6'10", 230. So that guy is just a physical marvel, and he averages 4.5 free throw attempts per game. That's almost a full free throw less than last year. And just a tad, tad more than his rookie year where he shot just 4.2 free throws per game. On a per-possession level, he has 6.1 free throw attempts per 100 possessions. Last year, it was 7.5. As a rookie, it was 6.0. Just to give you some context, uh, James Harden, obviously, maybe the greatest player, you know, perimeter player ever at drawing fouls. has to be him and, you know, Michael Jordan at 12.4. Per 100 possessions, Giannis at 10.1, Jimmy Butler 9.6, Luka Doncic 9.2, Embiid 8.1. I'm not saying he's going to be like a top five guy that even though I think he could be. I think at at least, look at these guys that are in the middle tier. Trey Young also at 8.1, having as many free throw attempts per 100 possessions as Joel Embiid, who I feel like it's fouled every five seconds. Bradley Beal at 7.5, Damian Lillard at 7.5, Spencer Dinwiddie at 7.1, Devin Booker at 6.5. All right, stats nerd, calm down. Over well, I'm there. saying, like, why can't <laughs> he should be able to get to the free throw line more than Spencer Dinwiddie? He and absolutely he sh- should, and he be, should be shooting above sixty percent. I mean, he's the best he shot in his career is sixty percent exactly last year. Like, I'm not one of those guys. It's like they're free throws, they're free throw reason, and like expects every player to shoot ninety percent. But I think if any player really, really, really wanted to work on it, they could shoot seventy percent. And if he just got fouled 
at the same rate as Spencer Dinwiddie and shot 70% from the line, I think things would be totally different for him offensively. Look, you can just tell from the manner in which he shoots layups that he doesn't want to get fouled. He's so finesse. He's so strong and just shies away from contact and fades away from the rim. He should just be dunking it in people's face nonstop. Correct. He does it. He dunks less than he should for a guy with his size and athleticism. He's throwing up these like Statue of Liberty type layup attempts where they, they really don't look like they have much of a chance of going in a lot of the time. And like even when he's in transition and he he has these one-on-one matchups where guys, they wall off the paint, but it's not like he doesn't have the agility to step around people. There are times when he just gets so psyched out that he stops and physically turns around to look for... And throws the ball instead of dunking them. He's like, just yeah. throws out to Al Horford for a 15-foot bunny that he's going to bring because he sucks now. Right. He'll, he'll throw jump passes. He'll stop dead in his tracks. And look, you want to hit guys in transition and i don't want to make it seem like he should play like a a completely different player he's a he's a pass first guy on some level and he's a really gifted passer that is one of his primary jobs is to get their shooters who need a lot of help as we both know to get going i that's all well and good but at the same time this team is not getting where it wants to go unless he plays with a downhill, aggressive, physical mindset. And we see it at times, but we almost always only see it in first halves of games. And that in itself is telling. When it's time to stand up and be counted in crunch time, when it's time to leave his impact on the game offensively, not only does he not do that, he doesn't even try to do so. And that, I think, is the biggest crime because we see him do that on the defensive end. I think he has been outstanding in clutch situations as a defensive player this year, but he doesn't bring anywhere close to the same mentality on defense and or on offense. And I think it's a real shame because a lot of it seems to be of his own doing. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a mental thing because I, I think we're both – certainly agree that he's capable of doing that and it's a shame like uh, you know we feel like we've been dealing that with that non-stop in Philadelphia between Markel Fultz and, and Ben now as well where we just don't understand we don't have the insight we don't have the ability to look into what they're dealing with to you know we're not in their inner circle we don't know what's going on we don't know why they're acting this way and I understand if they're just like psyched out and just in their own head but what else are we left to do except come up with their own theories as to why these things are happening and why they're playing i don't want to say playing poorly because ben simmons isn't playing poorly he's you know an all-star but at the same time he should be you know it sounds like an asshole thing to say just like this lazy take but he should be a superstar not an all-star and i think the little changes to be made to get him to that level are simple and are just as simple as finishing harder in the lane. Just doing that and raising his free throw percentage, the game would be so different for him. He would score more points. People would look at him differently if he was aver- if he was getting those, you know, 24, 12 and 8 games instead of, you know, 16, 10 and 8 games. He is good enough for his weaknesses to be meaningful and frustrating. I think that is probably the best way I could describe it. So, speaking of Frustration. The Sixers currently sit, Seamus, in sixth in the Eastern Conference. Where do you think they end up finishing? 
when all is said and done because we are now halfway through the season i can't believe that many games have gone by already but this is not a small sample at this point this is they are who they are at the halfway point of the season and the the eastern conference is a lot tougher than i think people believed it would be so how i i think before you assumed you had said on the podcast you were assuming they would get to the top three at least do you still believe that's in the cards right now i think the third seed isn't as attainable and if they have the three seed i'm comfortable with them taking a puncher's chance to make the finals i think they kind of have to get to at least three seed because if they end up if they're in the four or five series and have to play milwaukee in the second round they're fucked yeah that's a nightmare that's not because this this team needs as much time as they can possibly be afforded to hit their stride and, and, and figure out who they are and what they do well and, and how it all works on offense, I don't think they can put themselves in a position where they're playing a team like Milwaukee in the second round. Like That's just asking for an end to your season, essentially. Now, whether they can get there or not, I think it is a better question because – Look, I, I think Miami is going to come back down to earth a little bit. Their defense has not been as good recently. Jimmy Butler is doing the same thing that he did. He's going to get a space, a lot of, you know, space cadet two months, and people are going to be like, oh, what's wrong with the, the heat? And they're going to be like, well, not even that. He's doing the thing he did last year where he just has decided that he doesn't want to take threes for a while, which was weird when it was here, and people thought I was crazy and making What a it up. strange player he is. It, it's strange because he's always been a, a an above average, pretty good catch and shoot guy, but he just has no real interest in doing it. And I don't know. I know he dealt with some sort of hand issue or claimed to last year. Um, but I, so that's happening. And I think Miami's going to regress a little bit. But if you look at the other three teams in front of them, Toronto is still ahead of them in the standings and has not been very healthy. They're going to get guys like Gasol and Pascal. Yeah, Gasol, I think Gasol is back tonight, right? Yeah, and I, so that's a team that is constantly playing 100%, and so I don't know that it's... They're a scrappy regular season team. Yes, and so I'd, like, I would feel good about the Sixers in the series against them. Yeah, I don't yeah, necessarily I'm... feel good about them passing them. I feel a similar way about the Celtics. I think the Celtics have played a bit over their heads so far but at the same time it's a lot like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum probably feel like they got out of jail after the Kyrie Irving situation last year where they were just passengers in this big circus where the team's best player that had disappeared during their great playoff run the, the year before came back and thought he was just supposed to run everything and now they're playing with more of an unselfish team-friendly guy like Kemba Walker and they've stepped up and played pretty well Jalen Brown I think has got made fun of for his contract in the offseason but has made a lot of strides this year so I don't know how much they're going to come back down to earth and then Indiana who they've lost to twice now it's the same sort of deal it's a team that's going to play hard every night they're about to get Victor Oladipo back that's a huge shot in the arm for this team they'll have to figure out rotations and chemistry and what have you but they have talent and they're they're a, a tough competitive team they have a lot of defensive minded players in that group so it's not a gimme despite the fact that the Sixers strength of schedule is is going to be okay here in the second half of the year I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they're just going to figure this out and and get the seed that people expected them to get before the season started no it's definitely not a given I mean they could certainly come in 
and be the sixth seed and play the whole, oh, no one wants to face us. Like, they, they went on the road in game one in Miami, and they're like, no one wants to see the Sixers in the playoffs. The Sixers are the most talented sixth seed of all time. Are the sixth seed going to make the fun? It's going to be one of those things. And we'll, people will talk themselves into it if they're the sixth seed, or it'll be the three seed, and we're going to say, oh, this is where we're supposed to be all along. You guys are crazy for getting all nuts during the regular season. They were always going to be the three seed behind Milwaukee and whomever. I don't know. Whatever happens, where they finish, everyone's going to talk themselves into it being fun, even though yeah, it's not. Well, the, the bottom line is that where they are now, I don't view as an acceptable no, no. outcome to this point in the season. They should be better than they are. A lot of the problems they've had have been within their control. I, listen, if they keep this same team and they simply miss a lot of threes, but they compete hard – and they're a tough defensive team that is just in a bad spot when it comes to seeding. That is understandable to me. What cannot happen in the second half is for this team to let go of the rope on defense and to go through these stretches where they, they either look clueless or uninterested in defending. And that has been the case far too often for them up to this point in the year. So... Who do you think finishes in front of them? I think Boston's Milwaukee. going to... Milwaukee, obviously. I think Milwaukee and Boston, and then Toronto's the one wild card. because. See, I feel like I could see Miami finishing ahead of them. I could, and they have a, a bigger advantage than Toronto right now. Like Miami's 27-12, and 12 and they've been cooking. But I also think there's probably some... There's some level of regression coming. Like, they have a lot of young guys... It's a team that's based around playing one way where it's Butler handling the ball and they spread the floor with shooters. And that's certainly a recipe for success. But Tyler Hero is going to hit a rookie wall at some point. Duncan Robinson has never played serious NBA minutes. and like So there are are some natural regression candidates. I do think that that's going to come back. And their defense is probably not going to be – as good as it was early in the year. I think I mean, Bam Bio awesome, has been great, but Bam's I don't awesome. know that I think he's um, like defensive player of the year caliber guy, which he has been for a lot of this year. So we'll see. Um, what if he's just Siakam and like, oh, he actually is just taking this crazy leap this year? I mean, it's possible. Yeah, yeah. I, I just really am high on him, I think. Because uh, you want to talk about leaps. I am currently watching Grizzlies Rockets on NBA TV right now, and Jaron Jackson is just absolutely eating the Rockets alive on the defensive end. So they're, you know, you never know when guys are going to take the next step in their career or when it's just a hot stretch versus, you know, like a sustainable thing moving forward. But yeah, I don't know. I I think the Sixers ultimately get a top four seed, but I don't feel super confident about, who they're going to pass because I think all these different teams have different strengths and reasons that they're good. And for the most part, they're all built around players who take the regular season seriously and, and show up on a, on a night to night basis in a way that I have not seen the Sixers best players do so over the last couple of years. Dude, they need to be, a t- they need to be home in game one as end of the first round as a fan, the last two years, I've never been more excited, more hyped up, and more happy as a Sixers fan than hanging out before the game with some people and game before game one of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals each of the last two years, walking in the stadium, 
you know, grabbing a beer, shooting the shit, doing the player introductions. Before that first home game, game one, anything's possible the entire postseason run. Everything's ahead of us. To have to wait until game three for that. It's not the sucks. same energy. It's I, not. I, I it totally sucks. agree with you. Like, it could be one and one, and it's like you're in the same position. Things are tied up. It's just not the same. Like it's that. It's always on a Saturday too. So if game three is on like a Tuesday, you're coming home from work. You're going straight there from work. It's not the same at all. The crowd's not the same on a weeknight. When you have that Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Saturday game, that's what like that's the pinnacle of like fandom. Like that's what you live for. That's what we went through all the process years for is to be that team that's playing on national TV on Saturday afternoon. They're coming to our house. We're going to kick their fucking ass. But if they be playing like this, <laughs> we could be coming home. Oh, two against Toronto or Indiana or Miami. I can't have that. I need that one game. Like, are they going to win the finals? Probably not, but at least give me that one moment. Give me that one day where I can believe that they're going to go on a finals run. Well, while we are on, a negative note, Seamus. It is time to close out the podcast. Oh my, oh my God. Everyone's favorite segment, the Mac Hollins Loser of the Week Award. Yeah, so this week's award goes to... Oh, we're not even going to... We're not having a discussion? Who's your nominee? Oh, okay. Uh, SLC Dunk, the website. The wow, Utah an Jazz entire website. And really the state of Indiana, but they went and did this... This this one week Wait, sample did say, size. Did you say the state of Indiana? You mean Utah? The state of Utah. Yeah, they're all they're all white people that are lots like, of white people. On both yeah, states. they're all the same to me. Uh, so SLC Dunk. That's the SB Nation Utah Jazz vertical affiliate, whatever you want to say. Uh, they did this study, quote unquote, uh, where they looked at all the big influencers, quote unquote, on Twitter, and over the last week, and they s- try to see which teams are talked about the most. And so 65% of the engagements or tweets or whatever on basketball Twitter are apparently about the Sixers over just the last week, which is like the worst sample size you could possibly do for something like this, are about the Sixers and Lakers, as you would assume, and the Atlanta Hawks for some reason are up there. So 65% of the, of the discourse about basketball online over the last week has been about those three teams. And they're having a little hissy fit. Because they're one of the other 27 teams that are comprising the other 35% of the basketball discourse. And they're sad about it. And they wonder why people don't like their team more. And why people aren't talking about Donovan Mitchell's step back 19-footers. And Rudy Gobert's uh, inability to play on the court in the postseason. Like, what do they want? Like, why? Like, yeah, like, it's great to be talked about and everything. But the teams that are talked about the most, I feel like they're in a good position where they're like, they're second in the league. They're twenty eight and twelve. Like I'd rather the Sixers be twenty eight and twelve instead of twenty five and sixteen, and not have everyone on ESPN talk about whether they should trade Ben Simmons or draw and beat every five seconds. Like no one's on ESPN saying like, can Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell make it work? Like do they have to trade one of them? <laughs> like, that's not that doesn't happen. Just like shut the fuck up, dude. Like no. you, because if like they like being their little insular, you know, close knit part of the world. That's not some kind of you know. East Coast elite or whatever you're going to say. Like, they have that, you know, they like not being an outsider and just being their own little small community community that only has basketball. Like, that's the only sport in town. So they're, they're not, they would not be able to handle the scrutiny that comes with being a nationally recognized team. Like, be careful what you ask for. 
I think one of like, my least favorite tweets, Seamus, that I have seen all season was there was a tweet from, I believe it was Slam Magazine, that they tweeted out. It was a picture of, I want to say, Donovan Mitchell. And they said, the Utah Jazz are, it was like, I don't know, 8-1 and one or 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. Why isn't anybody talking about them? You're a fucking media outlet. Then put them on if the you fucking cover of the magazine. The Jazz, you are in control of whether they're talked about or not. Like th- this idea that it's the responsibility of other outlets to talk about the things you want to be talked about is just complete bullshit. The, what is talked about most often whether it's on Twitter, whether it's people writing articles, whether it's what's talked about on a, a TV program, is the stuff that people respond to. That's the that's how this works. That's how media works. I would know it's my entire job. And so when I write things like opinion pieces about the coach, like opinion pieces about Ben Simmons and the position he plays, it's because I am paying attention to what the people who follow me, who read my work, who are interested in the team, what they are talking about and what they want people who are plugged in to talk about. That's how all this stuff works. I like I don't pretend to be like the the media soothsayer. I don't run ESPN. I'm not in charge of Bleacher Reports Twitter. I don't tweet about Alex Russo. Uh, who's that? Who's that a shot against? No, I'm saying like I don't I'm not responsible for these things. But I can tell you that most of those people are employed because they are responding to consumers and what they're interested in and what they like to talk about. And it's that simple. And if you can't deal with that, start your own fucking blog or your own website and you start writing about it and contributing to the discourse. It's really that simple. You know how you have a voice in 2020? You go on Philly. By going on the goddamn internet. Everybody has the same inter- internet connection on Al Gore's internet that you do. It's like an I think you should leave when Tim Robinson drives the heart, the hot dog shaped car into the suit. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we have, we have to figure out the guy who did this. Why is done this? Why isn't anyone talking about the team? We have to figure out who did this. Meanwhile, I was wearing a hot. <laughs> uh, on a coincidental note, I actually wore a Slam Magazine t-shirt today. The one with uh, Iverson on the cover. Listen, they've done lots of good work, but that tweet was one of the single dumbest things I've ever seen. Wow, why isn't anyone talking about a thing that we could talk about instead of posing a stupid theoretical question about what people are talking about? Why aren't any Sixers podcasts talking about Al Horford being a double agent? Oh my God. All right, on that note, Seamus, as always, it was a pleasure. Everybody else, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't already, subscribe give us some five star ratings send us your questions please don't send any concerns and we will talk to you soon